This is a Relay Project. Real Talk starts right now. Here's Ryan Jesperson. On this Friday, October 14th, we welcome you to Real Talk. Thanks for making time for us. It's Ryan Jesperson, John Hicks, the show's technical producer. In just a moment, Sapria Devetti will be joining us in her regular Friday time slot. And then it is the return of the Strategists Real Talk Roundtable presented by Urban Timber. We're really looking forward to this one. Zane Velji, Corey Hogan, Stephen Carter back in the house. We bring him in uh, well, whenever they can make time for us, John, they're busy guys. They're busy strategizing. It's hard to get all three at the same time. It is hard it. to get all yeah. three. And I'll, and I'll give Zane uh, a bit of a, a of a metaphor. I'll give him a, what, can I say a verbal back rub? They're going to have fun with this one. Sure. I'm going to pump his tires it's a little, a little weird, bit. but okay. It's a little strange. Um, <laughs> believe it or not, I didn't script that uh, heading into the show here like a bull into a china shop. But Zane Velji did some shuffling around. I know he had to move some meetings to be here today. And so he'll he'll get the credit that he deserves. Uh, and then once we start to compliment him, then then no doubt his his colleagues Uh, Corey and Steven will start to pile on for our pure entertainment. And so that's going to be great. We're going to get to uh, some controversial comments that were made this week. Obviously, Alberta's new premier, Danielle Smith. uh, I saw in the uh, Globe and Mail an an opinion piece by Gary Mason, who joined us about a month ago. Love Gary's writing. He describes it as a disastrous first week on the job as Alberta's premier. Uh, We'll tee that one up. Have you seen Canada's finance minister, Christian Freeland? uh, I saw this. Telling a fella at at a conference that that essentially, if I can paraphrase, uh, African countries don't want democracy bad enough. They're not willing to die for it, so they don't want democracy bad enough. And so I'm curious to know where the strategists will land on that one. Might need to put that in front of Sapria as well. Can uh, we go back to the days when politicians had like actual handlers? Or maybe when they were they just the- boring. <laughs> yeah. Remember back in the days when politicians were just boring? Nah, it's never been boring. Uh, but that's why we sign up for shows like this. And so we can really dig into this stuff. We're going to take a look at, at what's happening in Ontario. Um, at recommendations around masking into the winter. Ontario's top doctor warning of more recommendations to the public ahead of what they're forecasting to be a difficult winter. We'll get to Sapria with that and. And other news of the day as it develops. Plus, of course, today is is Friday, which means it's another edition of Trash Talk presented by our friends at Local Environmental. And uh, we had some tough decisions to make today. There are going to be some authors of some trash talks. I mean, yeah, you've seen the inbox. Uh, There are going to be some folks that wrote scathing and fantastic and entertaining emails to talk at RyanJesperson.com. And and you're not going to hear your trash talks today because we don't have 45 minutes and I can't read for 45 minutes at that pace. We're going to get kicked out of this new building that we're in. You're a pretty good reader, though. Thanks, John. I try my best. Speed reader, if but I ever know. But, but we're going to take we're, we're going to get to Donna's take on our studio in trash talk. You wonder? Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Uh-uh. Uh, yeah. Keith wrote in a rural restaurant discrimination edition of trash talk which we're going to get to i'm very much excited about that and then we've got more uh, including one from jillian uh jillian's one of our uh, jillian's one of those she's she's achieved a status i shouldn't say this out loud but jillian's achieved one of those statuses where, where when she sends us an email 
to be quite honest with you, that for the most part, they're bang on. And Jillian's email doesn't have to be in trash talk. It's a review of my conversation yesterday uh, with, uh, do you remember the founder of Madam Premier, Sarah Chanamara joined me, uh, Elder Chanamara, and we, we, we talked about women in politics and we talked about polarization. She has a, if you missed our show yesterday, uh, a political and feminist fashion brand called Madam Premier, uh, but she's getting piled on. And essentially, if I can put it in my words to, to sum up my impression of what she told us yesterday, she's getting piled on because she's not picking sides. She's encouraging women to get into politics, generally speaking, regardless of which party or perspective they might represent. And uh, Jillian essentially goes, nah. So we're going to wrap up Trash Talk with Jillian's email to wrap up our very first week in this new studio. And today is going to be a great show. We're really excited to have you here with us today. Of course, we're here in this studio and we're bringing you this show today because we have sponsors like our friends at Park Power to make sure that we can keep our lights on. You know, this is a great time for you to, to take a few minutes to review what you're paying right now for your electricity, your natural gas, your internet. Electricity rates have almost, in some circumstances, I mean, depending on what you were locked in on, fixed rate, variable rate, all the asterisks here, but but tripled. Some people are paying triple the electricity rates Jeez. that they were paying in past. So why not take two minutes today to compare the rates on utilities from your friendly local utilities provider? That's Park Power, powering our hashtag RealTalkRJ. RealTalker Vance reached out to me yesterday and he said, he said, hey, what's the promo code again? For, I said, well, it's it's 2022 dash real talk, pal. It's going to knock $70 off your first bill from Park Power. Our friends at Grand Dog Essentials Quality Raw Food. What can I tell you that would be more powerful or more moving or more impactful than they feed our dogs? This is where we go for our furry family members. In fact, we were customers of Grand Dog Essentials before they partnered with us here on Real Talk. We believe in what they do. This family-owned business with quality raw food for dogs. Cats as well, by the way. If you go on their website, you can check out the benefits of feeding a raw diet to your pet. You can learn more about supplements. Their Instagram account is fantastic. Lots of great tips. We know you love your pups. If you go to granddog.ca, use the promo code REALTALK to knock 10% off your first-time order. They'll deliver it right to your door if you're in Calgary, Edmonton, or Central Alberta. At Friesen Brothers, well, at 16 different Alberta communities, they're expecting to get slammed this weekend because people are starting to hear more, John, about these sourdough cinnamon buns that I keep talking about. <laughs> you're addicted. <laughs> addicted is a strong word, but... You might I, be right. You addictive. might be right. If you go onto their website, Friesen.com, you can learn more about their Oktoberfest dinner. That's running October 29th and 30th. It's a great opportunity to save all that effort and just let the Friesen Brothers Red Seal chefs do the cooking. Plus, they've got a great initiative called Healthy Insight. For a healthier you, you can find out more at Friesen.com. All right, well, we're not going to spend too much time talking about Alberta's political landscape with our leadoff guest this Friday, our leadoff guest every Friday, Sapria Devetti, because, my friend, you and I spent quite a bit of time on Wednesday talking about it in the 11th episode of our, I can't even call it our new project anymore, Seriously. People can check it out at seriouslypod.com, but there's a whole lot going on in your neck of the woods as well this morning. Good morning to you. 
Yeah. Good morning. Um, yeah. A whole lot going on. I, where do you want to start? Well, I want to, I'm curious to know, why don't we get into this, the story about the emergencies act, right? Uh, the Ontario provincial police and, and this inquiry goes on and, and I know you can set the scene for us here, but, but the OPP saying that this wasn't needed, the emergencies act invoked by the prime minister, the liberal government was not needed to deal with these freedom convoy protests. I can't believe we're coming up on a year already since Ottawa was occupied this public inquiry kicking off. Where's your, head out on this i mean first and foremost i think it's important to note and the star did this in their reporting but this is a shift from what the opp said back in march so the opp's lawyer um yesterday basically said that they were well equipped to deal with the protests and the blockades and that they have significant experience in this realm um and that they did not see the Emergencies Act uh, as being necessary. But back in March, um, the commissioner for the OPP told a parliamentary committee that the Emergencies Act gave them tools that made their operation much more effective. And without those tools, um, they wouldn't have been as you know effective as they would have been. And like, I don't know. So first, they've changed their story. And then the second point on this is just, well, if you were able to handle it, then why the fuck didn't you handle it? Because for the, you know, for quite a long time, um, it seemed as though nobody was coming to help the residents in the area who were, you know, unable to get groceries, who were being harassed, who were um, having, you know, fireworks go off and having noise at all hours of the night. Um, And it's just, it just seems a little bit odd uh, to me that the OPP would even try to make that argument. You you know, sometimes I I think when, when the average person, when the average Canadian is evaluating a story in the news or they're talking to their friends about it, people this weekend are going to be at hockey rinks and and, and squeezing in the last, or maybe, you know, fall camp fires and things like this. Uh, The question that, that that we want to boil this down to with any story is, why does this matter? Like, why do we care? Now, I'm not dismissing the public inquiry, but to the average Canadian, why does this matter? So, I mean, I think it matters for a few reasons. Um, I think first and foremost is the fact that the invocation of the Emergencies Act was uh, unprecedented, right? So we need to know uh, why the feds uh, invoked it and what their reasoning was and, you know, get some of the details that were going on behind the scene at the time. I think that's very important to, to know, even if it, it may seem disconnected from your day to day when the government of any partisan stripe is taking an unprecedented step, we should know why they're doing it right as the people that they then have to answer to. But I think more than that, we need to figure out why there was such a breakdown in local policing and local levels of government that essentially abdicated their responsibility and their um, obligations to the citizens uh, of, of Ottawa and the surrounding area. Like, I'm not really sure um, why and how it happened so that the feds did have to come in. Right. And I mean, I think we all saw video from the time where you saw a lot of sympathetic on the ground officers, um, that were shaking hands, taking selfies with the protesters. And that's fine. I suppose if that's what you want to do, but then you have to then answer to the residents who are saying, well, you know, we're getting harassed when we're going to groceries or for elderly folks or disabled folks who weren't actually able to even leave their place because they were, um, you know, being blockaded 
intimidated or, or, or worried about their own safety? Like these are all legit questions. And it's worth noting as well that the um, Ottawa police services went un- underwent, you know, pre- pretty major changes. Like Peter Slawley uh, stepped down yeah. uh, because of all this. And I mean, Chief, he was yeah. ringing the alarm bells from the jump saying that um, this was, uh, you know, a national security issue and that he needed more officers on the ground. If this were to happen again, like if, if, if it was somebody other than Tamara Leach or whoever else and, and yeah. someone else was, I mean, I guarantee that from an organizer's standpoint, you, you could kick off another freedom convoy. Like I guarantee you could find hundreds or thousands of people that would fire up their big rigs and do it all over again. Not because it was politically effective, not because I think they felt like they won, but because I think it created almost this community. I mean, the whole hot tub thing and everything else, people had found Housey a sense House, of belonging. Yeah. yeah, there was like a there was like a, a, a phenomenon uh, to, to watch it. It was like, I think people that had felt, I mean, I'm not a psychologist, but people that had felt ostracized, dismissed, disrespected, uh, people that were angry found common ground they found their people and so i think you could organize one again and i think you could organize one effectively it's not like people have chilled out critics of the prime minister have chilled out over the last year uh what do you think that the opp what do you think the ottawa police what do you think the rcmp what do you think the federal government might do differently like do you think this could happen again I do um, to all of the points that you made. Um, but more than that, I, I think that a lot of the original gripes weren't really about vaccines. Um, it was about general anti-government or more specifically, perhaps anti-Trudeau government um, sentiment. And, you know, we saw that in who they were protesting, right? The vast majority of uh, restrictions that were placed on Canadians were done by provincial levels of government, not by the, the not by the feds. And so we didn't see, for example, the uh, protesters showing up during the Ontario campaign in the same way that they showed up in spots in Ontario during the federal campaign. So, I mean, that's kind of a, an interesting uh, point. Um, but, you know, more to the fact of whether or not this could happen again, I think all of the structural issues within the police, the more you know, local levels of, of policing still probably exist. Um, I don't know if they've necessarily have been able to solve those simply by uh, a personnel change at the top. And it is also worth noting that, you know, um, the RCMP, as well as the Ottawa Police Services and the Canadian Association of Chiefs of Police did endorse the use of the Emergencies Act. So the OPP is sort of um, a, a bit of an outlier here and which just, you know, <laughs> Again, we, I mentioned this to you on, on seriously uh, earlier in the week, but I just don't get where Doug Ford is in all of this. Um, it's kind of funny that he's been able to pull this off. It's as, brilliant. Uh, it, it is. It, it's it really like, is. It's brilliant. Yeah. Like his um, like his his political advisors, or maybe it's just him. Uh, probably said, "Hey, you, you know, you're going to be in a tough spot on this. What's your plan?" And he was like, "I'm just, I'm just literally not going to show up for any of it. I'm, I'm not going to talk about it. I'm not going to show up. I'm not going to say anything about it, and they're going to forget about me." I mean, in his defense, they could have called him, right? The actual sure. uh, commission, and they didn't, um, which is interesting. And if the OPP is saying that it wasn't needed, I mean, I would imagine that the premier of the province would be, you know, privy to briefs or or something of the sort of the what was going on. So it's like, what is what did his office know? Why were they so hands off during it? Um, 
Let me and ask you that I, though, because you're 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 uh, you get you're people. I think people know you're you know you're a lawyer. Although you say oh, you were called, but, but like you yeah. know, but you're you're a, you're a strategist. You, you're an analyst. So so let's get into the kind of the brass tacks of this. And and Doug Ford, you know, not to put words in his mouth, but would essentially say he's respecting the other jurisdictions, right? He's going to say the premier of of Ontario is not the mayor of Ottawa. The premier of Ontario is not the prime minister, and mm-hmm. he creates a bit of a pass for himself, at least in the court of of casual public opinion but he creates a bit of a pass for himself almost winds up looking good by saying i'm not going to get in the way so i can grab headlines and wind up on the front page so is is there was there an impetus for him to be involved like is there a reason to suggest that he was i mean to use the big heavy word was he negligent in his duties or or does his explanation with regards to his approach to this hold water I think it does to a degree. Um, but then if that were the case, then wouldn't the premiers of Manitoba, Saskatchewan and Alberta also be respecting other jurisdictions in this? Well, and- no, because the premiers of Saskatchewan and Alberta make political hay every single week by kicking their feet into the doors and insisting right. that they do belong in all of the conversations. That's a strategy, not a reality, right? Yeah, but I mean to to that. So so okay. So you're saying it was like a strategic choice for Doug Ford to respect jurisdiction. Totally. In this matter. Well, it's like why? Yeah, but why I, it's like you know you, when you're friends with the husband and the wife, you're friends with both of them, and they're getting divorced. A lot of times, the play is like I'm not going to take. A, I'm not going to pick either side. I'm not going to get involved. It's easier for me to just watch this one from the sidelines. You don't pick a friend. I'm having it. Like, you always it, like I'm one it, person I'm better. It you always like right one now. person better in in the couple. I I'm I'm. I- I don't even want to get it. What if they're watching? I don't want to get yeah, into okay. it. I, like, like literally, I love both of them. It's just, it's a nightmare. Yeah. And on this one, I'm like, I just kind of like, I'm like the Homer Simpson going back into the bushes. Into the bushes. Yeah. Yeah. yeah look, I get it. Um, and I think, you know, to our, our earlier sort of uh, point on this, and we were being somewhat glib, but I am being serious. I do think it from a strategic standpoint, it was a, you know, chef's kiss in terms of the way Doug Ford was was able to do this. Um, And, you know, whether or not it was because he truly believes in it not being his jurisdiction or not being something that he should have been involved in, I think we should still hear that because otherwise we're just making all sorts of assumptions in terms of what he knew and what he was briefed on and the intelligence that he was sort of privy to and what his office was privy to at the time, as well as, you know, the conversations that I'm sure were going on Uh, behind the scenes between his office and the federal government. Uh, different conversations about COVID happening in different provinces. And and, I, and I'm and i not being entirely fair to what's happening in Alberta right now, because there are people that are sounding the alarm that hospitalizations are up. I know that nobody wants to hear it. I know that it is the inconvenient truth of 2022. Uh, but, uh, you know, as, as uh, Alberta's new premier, Danielle Smith, is talking about, you know, more human rights for the unvaccinated. Ontario's top doctor, Kieran Moore, uh, chief medical officer of health, is, is warning of you know, recommendations to the public, including masking ahead of what he described just the other day as a difficult winter. The numbers are up with hospitalizations. The numbers are up again uh, from COVID cases. I saw yesterday that Alberta's numbers are the highest that they've been since May. Uh, This is a reality across the country right now. Um, What's catching your eye with regards to this story? Still relevant, obviously. Yeah, I mean, the first thing that caught my eye is that the fact that he made this recommendation kind of mealy mouth. So it's like we will be making more recommendations of wearing masks in the future. Right. Um, But they're not really doing that now Um, in terms of, 
coming out prior to this and basically declaring the pandemic over and saying that, you know, we, they pe- folks didn't really need to wear masks and not encouraging uh, booster uptake of, of, of vaccines, you know, as full throatedly as, as they possibly could have. I'd also include the, uh, the kind of wishy-washy messaging that we got for pediatric vaccinations for COVID um, from Dr. Moore, as well as uh, from, you know, political actors here in Ontario has all led us to this point. And I mean, healthcare workers, I know I've said this before to you, I've said this before on Seriously, and I'm repeating myself, but healthcare workers are done. Um, they have been going, you know, full tilt for the last few years. And with each wave, they keep getting crushed. And the problem is, is that the wave is never allowed to recede enough so that things it can get back to a semblance of normalcy within a lot of these hospitals. So you're always sort of um, gasping for air, if I'm going to go with the wave sort of analogy and drowning. And and it's it's very unfortunate. And I, I don't, you know, think people who haven't needed to access um, the healthcare system, in particular, the, the hospital system, um, really realize the degree to which we're fucked. Um, with a lot of this. And if we do see a huge uptick in in cases or hospitalizations, rather, I should say, um, that's going to affect a lot of things. I mean, we just got data here in Ontario uh, this past week to suggest that something like 400,000 fewer um, mammograms were performed. Like, that's bad. Um, you know, the fact that sick kids and CHEO, both, you know, pediatric hospitals in Toronto and Ontario are saying like their wait times are untenable and that they're, you know, in, for in sick kids example, they said that the ICU was, was basically full and they're canceling kids surgeries. Like that's really bad. Um, a lot of this is bad and I'm not sure why we pretend like it's not or that everything's okay. Um, it may make us feel better, but it's just kicking the can down the road a little bit longer and we're going to have to deal with it at some point. Uh, I, I don't want to b- betray confidence and so I w- won't provide too many details except to say that I talked to a Canadian neurosurgeon uh, off the record within the last month and he communicated to me how devastating it's been for them to have to triage uh, their surgeries. And he says, we're talking about people that are requiring brain surgery. We're talking about tumors that are growing. Uh, Like they get bigger every day. And they're having to talk to people about why their brain surgeries are being delayed, uh, you know, in some circumstances by months. And uh, you can see it all over this guy's face, uh, the impact. You imagine, I mean, these are people that are having to have these real life conversations. You got to look into somebody's eyes and say, I know that, that uh, you know you're losing feeling in your fingers, or you have a crippling headache, or your you, some of your behavior is unexplained, or or you know we know why it's happening. It's because of this tumor. But I'm sorry, you're going to have to wait another six weeks, and uh, it puts it into perspective. Like there's people that are going to hear this podcast, uh, and and we're talking about their situation, and that's never lost on me. Before we run out of time, Sapri, I want to ask you about uh, this this shadow cabinet that Pierre Polyev rolled out, and I, and I have kind of well, I have several thoughts on this. 
but he's named his opposition critics, uh, including former party leadership rivals. Uh, Scott Aitchison is, is one of them. Aaron O'Toole, former leader of the party, is not included in the 71-member shadow cabinet, which is, uh, I don't know, I'll ask you what you make of that. To put this into perspective for people, the shadow cabinet, um, you know, it, it's like the opposition critic, right? It's intended to hold the ministers or hold, uh, you know, the, the, the portfolio uh, to account. And uh, there's obviously a lot of political posturing that goes into it. I think it's worth noting that shadow cabinet or shadow ministers uh, don't get paid more. They're not promoted more. This doesn't cost Canadians more. Uh, I've seen some point out the irony of being a, uh, you know, a, a, a lean, mean inflation fighting machine that then rolls out a bloated shadow cabinet of 71 members for just 39 ministers. But at the same time, I've seen a counter argument from people that I find to be kind of compelling. And that is that if they're not making more money and if it's not costing Canadians more and if it makes them more effective in opposition vis-a-vis more effective governance for the country, then it could be a good thing. What do you make of the 71 member shadow cabinet? It's a lot like I don't know why you need that many um, per, like it should generally be a one to one, in my opinion, with as many um, ministers there are, you should have then a critic for that minister. Um, but that there are a lot of like associate uh, shadow cabinet members or critics, whatever you want to call it. Um, and so I, I think that aspect's interesting. I, I would also just say that, you know, with respect to Aaron O'Toole, I think he said he didn't want to be uh, a critic, uh, if, if I remember oh, correctly. But I am going by memory. Um, but to your point, you know, Scott Aitchison is in there. Uh, Les and Lewis as well uh, is in there. Aitchison in particular, I believe, will will do a, a, a good job um, of holding this this government to uh, account on, on things like housing and, and, and diversity. Um, you know, he proved himself to be a very principled voice in in the race and and i would expect him to to very much continue that a principled um, voice that got one percent of the vote well i mean yeah but what does that say principled- i mean i think it's a principled voice to the general masses i don't think it's a principled voice to the red meat of the base were you surprised right? were you surprised that he finished like I- no i'm surprised he even finished the race if i'm being honest oh like, i'm he surprised drop he, out? he back out yeah yeah really yeah, because I mean, like I, he had to have known he wasn't going to get more than like a few percentage points. Right. Yeah. Um, I, he's not he's not enumerate. He knows the numbers. Mm. Um, and I, I think it was admirable to a degree that he stuck in it um, and was able to keep pushing his his message throughout. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's a, obviously a very big difference between the general voting uh, audience and uh, some, you know, the audience that's uh, being primed for voting in any leadership race, but I think particularly the conservative uh, base tends to be uh, much, much more different than the average conservative voter. Hmm. I'm trying to figure out if this is worth mentioning or not, but I think that real talk. Mention loyal it, mention is, it. Yeah, well, I, you know, what's really interesting is when we put out the call, we wanted to, to speak with every contender in the federal leadership race. And there were two camps uh, that basically told us to pound sand and one of them is obvious, the Polyev camp. Uh, they're mm-hmm. not granting interviews to anybody, and that's fine. Uh, didn't expect to get them, but wanted to put the ask in so I could say that we put the ask in, right? And then the Aitchison camp. Like, the, like, there's no other way to put it. The 
person I was corresponding with on the agency account was a smarmy jerk, like like a, like a jerk. And uh, and we followed back twice. I kind of set myself up. I felt like I was just the girl standing in front of the boy asking him to love her, and yeah. uh, and and circled back and said just just one more. I said we're really you know we value his perspective. We we respect the campaign he's running, whatever. And they were just pricks. And when I when I saw the one percent, I like. To be honest, I toasted it. Like, just, and, I, and I like I don't want to be that person, but I was kind of like, well, like maybe you should have done what some more interviews. Like, yeah. yeah, like yeah. I mean, it's just it's kind of funny. It's like playing for the Seattle Kraken and like you know pissing all over the Colorado Stanley Cup parade. I don't know. It was just a weird take for them. It's like who cares that what it's it's inconsequential now. But I just you know sometimes those peaks behind the curtain are interesting for people to hear about. Yeah, and I love that you mentioned it, um, be, especially the toasting part, because like, yeah, man, like that that's the kind of thing people don't realize that spite is a heck of a motivator. Yeah, well, I mean, it is. Uh, yeah. I, hey, listen, I know that like I, I want to know what you're, we can do this live right now. It doesn't matter. But like, I don't know what your morning's like, but do, do you have like four more minutes? Can I can I keep it for four more yeah, yeah, minutes? Yeah, let's do it. Because because yeah. can I ask you about this Christian Freeland thing? Uh, I'm going to I'm going to ask, are you familiar with it? Have you heard her comments at the, at the meetings in D.C.? You might be hearing this for the first time. So this is this was just yesterday. Uh, okay. I, I, okay, so I'm putting you on the spot. So I apologize ah, for okay. that. But no. this is good because we know we're going to get your gut instinct reaction to this. So so Canada's finance minister, Christia Freeland, is in Washington, D.C. right now. And she's uh, it's the annual meetings of the World Bank and the IMF. Right. Deputy Prime Minister Freeland. And she takes a question. I want to play it, Johnny, if we can get to it. And Supri, I'm going to do it. I want to do it justice. So I'm going to play the essentially not, you know, the full clip. It's going to be about two minutes here. I okay. want to hear the, the question, the preamble. Uh, it's a gentleman. He doesn't say which African nation he's from, uh, but you'll hear his question and then her response. And people are like, like, it's it's not great. Uh, so here is Christian Freeland uh, in Washington, D.C. just a very short time ago. Thank you, Madam Minister. Um, so I'm from one of the in-between countries in, in Africa. I work at the African Development Bank, and we're going through our 16th replenishment of our concessional window. And the, the messaging we're getting from the West is we're not going to get that much resources because a lot of the money is going to go to Ukraine. Um, and now you're talking about friendship. Um, you don't want some of our countries to fall in the hands of Russia, and Russia is knocking in many of the countries in West Africa. And yet, we're not going to get as much aid, so we don't backslide on the democratic front. Um, there's a bit of a tension there, and um, I just welcome your response on how you think one could, how how you think we can move forward. Uh, positively in this regard. Maxi. Um, so I think that is an excellent question and something I am very preoccupied by. Um, and I'm going to start actually um, by just sort of gently interrogating two words you used, um, which is about African countries falling into the hands of Russia and African countries backsliding. Um, I think it's not my job to sit in judgment about that. And I, one of the sort of profound lessons, I think, of the war in Ukraine is democracy can only be built by people themselves, for themselves. And a democracy can only be defended by people themselves 
if they're actually prepared to die for their democracy. And I think that's something Volodymyr Zelensky understood from day one, that Ukraine was only going to fight if he stuck around, and Ukrainians saw that he stuck around, and like they're fighting for themselves. They're doing it themselves, and actually I think that's why it's working. You got to be willing the rest, to... What's the rest of her answer? Where was she going <laughs> I mean, with that? Right? I it's like, it, it, it's like you don't want it bad enough. You're There's not enough people willing to die for it. And uh, you're on your own. I mean, also, like, ignoring the horrific legacy of colonialism that so much of, you know, uh, those settler nations have sort of left or those colonial, you know, powers have left upon... Uh, individual nations, you know, very in Africa, but as well a lot in South Asia, right? Like this isn't anything across the Caribbean, like this isn't anything sort of new. So it is a bit of a tone deaf uh, response. Um, I'm not really sure. Was it like what? What did the room do? Like was the like do you like were they just like ooh like you know when you hear like an audible not, sort of like, gas? I'm not like, like laughing. Like, I'm just or a bunch of callers being like, yeah. I think uh, so. I think like if I and I try to I put myself in the position of the moderator sitting up there on the stage with her and like she's obviously she's a she's like isn't she like Harvard and Yale educated? She was a Rhodes scholar. She's like Christian Freeland's not a, a a dumb human at all. No. Um and uh and I just sort of I saw Paul Wells put it on my radar and I all I've seen since then is people just going like it just seems to especially for her maybe to be like is it uncharacteristic? It's just like you implied it's like what road were you going down with that answer? It's just a really Anyway, I uh, I don't think that we're going to arrive at a conclusion that makes that answer make sense. Uh, no, but I think we're both on the same page that it was a bad answer. <laughs> it was a bad answer. Um, have yourself a fabulous weekend. Uh, and uh, you and I are going to be taking next week off. Uh, not like we're going to be doing our show, uh, but seriously, he's going to take the week off is what I mean. And we'll chat with you again soon, my friend. Sounds good. Okay, have that's Sapria Devetti. Uh, give her a follow on Twitter at Sapria Devetti and of course you can uh, subscribe to what we're doing seriouslypod.com is where you can find it every Wednesday in a half hour or less we cut through the noise of the stories that are making national news and we're having a ton of fun doing it uh, that's presented by our good friends at We Know Training in just a second the Real Talk Roundtable featuring the strategist very excited about that but first I want to remind you you right now have the power to ensure that Western Canadians are receiving the top shelf healthcare that they need in particular at the Grey Nuns and Misericordia Hospitals, this through the Covenant Foundation Lottery. We've spent a lot of time talking to you about the $2.2 million dream home. It's stunning. Now, you got to remember, if you're listening to Real Talk outside of Alberta, $2.2 million, that's like $12 million in Vancouver. This is a stunning property, but there's more. There's vehicles, BMWs, Alfa Romeos. They're giving away a Lexus plus hella skiing, a luxury ranch experience, a fly fishing experience, and of course, 30 years of gorgeous getaways, all part of the legacy of the Covenant Foundation Lottery. You can get your tickets today by checking out their website, covenantfoundationlottery.ca. If right now you're listening to what we're talking about, you know, you're, you're feeling like you'd like to become more politically engaged. You'd like to maybe understand more about the world around you. I guess what I'm getting at is 
you want to go back to school. Now, you don't have to commit to a full undergraduate program, or, or maybe that's what you want to do. Maybe you're looking for graduate-level research opportunities. Maybe you just want to better yourself in an intriguing area like artificial intelligence or human resources. May we recommend Canada's Open University at Athabasca University. That's AthabascaU.ca, world-class accredited online programs and courses. But here's the best part. You learn at your own pace on a schedule that suits your lifestyle. You want to head away with the family for a couple of weeks? No worries. You need a mental health break for a couple of months? You're not falling behind. You can learn more details on the admissions process and how it all works by visiting AthabascaU.ca. Our friends at Apex Automation are building the most talented team of professional engineers in the country. Just check out their projects link at ApexAutomation.ca. They're putting out the call to P-Engines across the country and love to give people back their time. The staff, through a great corporate culture, and their clients as well, through innovative automation across different Canadian industries. Pipelines, natural gas processing facilities, potash mining in Saskatchewan, robotics, even craft brewing. They're doing it all at apexautomation.ca. And a big shout out to our friends at Kubi Renewable Energy. I was talking to you about electricity rates that are on the rise right now. I mean, that's been the trend this year. Is there ever been a better time to go green? Kubi Energy right now is drawing up plans and putting the pieces in place to ensure that this spring's solar installations happen ASAP. They do residential, commercial, industrial, agricultural. You can check out some of their solar power projects by visiting kubienergy.ca. And don't forget that those, of course, all of those quotes, free and right away on demand at Kubi Energy. Just wanted to let the studio band wrap there before we get to our next guest. John, before we do, before we get to the strategists, would you mind giving me a nice big, I mean, you know, people on the podcast, we'll do our best to describe what they're going to see, but can you give us a nice studio wide shot here? In this uh, new location of ours, uh, Real Talk Studio Mm -hmm. 2.0, I have the absolute pleasure of sitting in front of this table this is a white oak table finished with epoxy and if you look close enough let me push this chair out of the way if i can no i can't get to it you know why because there's gears in the way i want to show you (laughs) the uh, the the undercarriage of this remarkable piece of art that was crafted by our friends at urban timber is incredible and it must be seen in person to be appreciated but there are hand crank gears under this table that allow it to rise that allow us to lower that table as well this thing is nothing shy of magnificent and we're so proud to be partnering with our friends at urban timber to present the real talk roundtable every friday before we get to our guests i want to let you know if, if you're one of those that's joining us on youtube every morning if you're seeing this table and it's prompting you to imagine your own vision what an installation in your home or your boardroom might look like i encourage you to get in touch with them at urbantimber.ca they themselves have just moved into a new showroom and it's absolutely stunning you can see some of the different designs there in person our friends at urban timber also did a lot of the finishings in here for us so we've got beautiful real uh, like 
the the wood that our shelves are I know I'm sound like Pierre Polyev here but the the wood that our shelves are crafted from stunning every piece tells a story we sat down with them Darren and Leanne this is a family owned business we painted a picture for them and said here's what we want this table to look like here's what this studio represents and boy did they execute so uh, throughout this year, you're going to be hearing, of course, expert opinions around this Real Talk Roundtable, and every single one of those interviews are going to be presented by our good friends at Urban Timber. Now, this week's edition is the return of, of one of our most popular Real Talk Roundtables, b- b- but don't tell these guys, because it'll go to their heads, and they're going to start demanding that we pay them for their time. Quite frankly, we can't afford it. Stephen Carter, Zane Velge, and Corey Hogan collaborate every week on one of Canada's most listened to political podcasts. Of course, they've worked on a number of different campaigns offering their strategic insights uh, to ensure that people are, well, gaining office in municipal, provincial and federal government levels. It's wonderful to have the three of you back. Zane, in particular, as I said off the top of today's show, you deserve extra special credit because I know you moved mountains to make yourself available. So we thank you for that. Happy to be here. Yeah. Yeah. It's good to see the three of you. Uh, Stephen Carter already shaking his head. Zane gets extra credit for being difficult. Yeah. For being a pain in the ass. Yeah. 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 It's it's how life works, Corey. And I have other things on the go. You know, Ryan, I said, sure, I'll make it work. Uh, No mention of that. Zane ghosts you for a day. You have to harass him by text three times. And he finally says, yeah, maybe I can fit that in. And he gets praise off the top of the show. We understand now. Stephen Carter. we responded to your drunken texts. Like Corey and I were right in on your drunken texts. And Zane's like, I want to wait for sober Ryan. I, I didn't, we didn't wait for sober Ryan. We didn't so, give a shit. So I was, I was hosting. Do you know what I didn't, do you want to know the truth? I, I mean, that is the truth. But, uh, uh-huh. but so, so I was hosting a, a, a fundraising event. There's a fabulous party earlier this week, uh, raised about $410,000 for the stallery. No big deal. And, no big deal. Uh, and, and, and somebody comes up to me at this event and they were like, when are you going to get the strategist back on the show? Like what's taking you so long? Like where's Zane and Corey and Steven? And, and I, I didn't want to tell them that of course they could like download your podcast and, and, no. and find oh, you every week. Do that. I, I would yeah, rather no. keep them yeah. downloading my podcast. Um, and so I did reach out to you at about 1130 at night under the influence of a couple of old fashions. And, and yes, Stephen and Corey, you were immediately confirmed. And so we'll give you credit yeah. for that as well. It's nice to see your faces. Let's get serious uh, in a way. Right away, uh, I just played it for yeah. Supriya Devetti. Uh, put her on the spot. She hadn't heard the Christian Freeland clip yet. Speaking at the uh, the IMF thing, the Washington D.C. Everybody heard us uh, tee it up. Um, who wants to go first? How bad is this? It's not bad at all. It's perfect. Okay, it's go great. ahead. Go ahead. Oh God, you know, she Carter. Was, she was saying what everybody needs to actually say. That is that um, at a time when Ukraine is fighting for their lives, uh, the the question was, what if if African countries start quote unquote, falling back under Russian influence. Uh, There are too many people who are too many countries that have chased democracy uh, for the for the windfall of of government handouts that come from uh, the West rather than chasing democracy for what it actually stands for. And I think that Freeland may have stumped, you know, may have blown that a little bit in terms of the answer. uh, But the answer to the question to stop countries from falling back under Russian influence uh, to hell with that. If you want to go under Russian influence right now, go for it. Go for it. Yeah, you're, you're falling into bed with a tyrant and uh, the rest of the world should turn their backs on you. Isn't that a little too dismissive, though, Corey? Uh, yeah. 
Yeah, well, what do you expect from Stephen Carter? I, I mean, there's there's a lot to unpack here. There's there's a few things where Christian Freeland made that classic political gaffe of saying what she actually thought, right? In, instead of yeah. packaging it up. And then there is, uh, you know, some truth to what Stephen Carter said around like what you really think you're going to go under Russian influence. This is a one point six trillion dollar economy. Everyone forgets Canada has a larger economy than Russia. There's only 38 million of us, right? This is this is not a powerful, mighty country. It's not the USSR. It's not going to be able to provide what you want. But you can't be dismissive of the real needs in Africa. And so flip as Christian Freeland was in this particular instance. And, it, I, you know, if I was sitting in Africa thinking about Canada as a potential ally, I'm left really cold by that conversation. Oh. Um, really, really cold. And yeah, I mean, uh, the eyes of the world are on Ukraine. And some of that is, you know, Ethnocultural. The, the fact is, there's an awful lot of Canadians, especially here in Alberta, who are, you know, descendants of people from Ukraine, have family in Ukraine, and and so there's this pull. And of course, it's part of, uh, you know, the broader European family where there's a lot of descendants of Europeans, and there's this pull, and and people naturally sort of gravitate to things they have connections to. Um, that that's kind of true. But but that's not our best instinct. And as a Canadian statesperson, it was her job to sort of articulate a different view of the world, one where we look at the concerns more on an individual level and say, is this right? Is this wrong? Not am I closest to Ukraine? Am I closest to a country in Africa? Zane? It was a time where she could have been aspirational in her answer. Oh. It was a time where she had the opportunity to, you know, set the baseline of the current world order. Instead... To Corey's point, she went with an academic answer. She went with an answer that maybe backhandedly said, yeah, slide back into colonialism if that's what you need, if that's what you want, if that's your desire, do so. And we will only understand your true um, ability and, and embrace of democracy if you start dying for it. Show bravery like Ukraine. That's what I got from that answer. Yeah. I was deep deeply disappointed with that answer because it was a real opportunity for her to give a sense of what Canada stood for, that the fact that our, our, our conversations, even within our four walls of this country on equity and diversity, aren't performative, that they're real. And this will have reverberations back here because there is a race element to here to this comment that is absolutely clear, whether you, you see it on its face or not. And that race element is that be like the white people in Ukraine, not like the black people that you are, not dying for this thing called democracy. And all of the undercurrents, all of the history, all the baggage that Carter's put on the table will all be negated with that particular sentiment that she's put out there inadvertently or not. Carter, you're shaking your head. I just think that, you know, the, 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 the bottom line was the question was, I mean, yes, Corey's right. She made the cardinal error of answering the question. The, the the question that was asked was, are you worried about uh, African democracies falling in with Russia um, because you're not giving us enough money? And, and I, I, I got to be honest, I don't think that that's a racial overtone. I think that that's a financial overtone. Um, that's finances. That's saying, you know what, give us our money because, it, you know, there's not enough money to go around all the time. Give us all of our money uh, or we're going to fall back into bed with the what? How big is it? The, the 15th? the 18th largest economy in the world. I mean, if someone threatens you, uh, you don't fall in with that threat. I don't care you know, if it's racial or not. You don't fall. You, if someone's threatening you, you don't fall for the threat. Yeah, but Carter, Did you, this is like you, an insane, Listen to that question, though, Carter. Listen to that standard. question. 
absolutely agree with Corey. And also listen to the tone of that question. I think the most damning element of this clip is how calm and collected that question was versus how cold and 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 and, and sharply dismissive that answer was. Listen, wow. let me tell you this. If we had a time machine and we could go back to before Russia invaded the Donbass and Ukraine in general and created all of the chaos in Crimea and all of that, I think most of us would take it at this time. We would say this situation is already really bad, really terrible. And I think the the pith of the question that Christian Freeland was asked was, how do you stop these kinds of things from happening everywhere in the world? Like, you know, what I what disappoints me about Christian Freeland's answer is the subtext is effectively... It's got to be so bad that there are missiles running down on you before you're going to get the kind of support you got here. You've got to fight for these things. You got to die for these things. I'd rather live for these things, frankly. And I thought that's what Canada stood for. Oh. And and there should be more of an investment in peace times, not war times. Now, not to negate any of our commitments to Ukraine, I think if anything we should be doing more because uh, it is now a crisis point, but let's deal with some of these things before they become crisis points you How guys sitting that? up there you guys are sitting up there in your urban timbers towers looking down <laughs> on this like there's not some sort of real world implication you probably hand crank yourselves up there you know <laughs> in some Carter, sort of fashion I, I, you, listen you, you know you do this all the time you double down the for the perspective world. of i live in the real world where there's you would have never advised me, her to say that pieces of Even wood if it behind was true. me right what I, I would have actually. Let Don't me ask you first first of all, You wouldn't have. Oh. Carter, Zane, and I'm with Zane on it. And by the way, I just popped into our live chat. This is my favorite comment all morning. Les says, wow, I agree with Carter. Uh, ah, which is which? There ah, you go. Uh, Les, Les is on my side. Les can't bring himself to believe <laughs> that he agrees with you. Uh, but but I agree with Zane. I don't believe for a second, that, Carter, that you would have advised Christopher Freeland to say that publicly. Not publicly. Okay, well that's what she did. Jeez. That's the whole point. That's why I'm well, asking I you. That. I didn't. I didn't get some like some like brown envelope audio of her saying that in an off the record <laughs> meeting. She's yeah, saying with that the three on the podium. Setup, Carter. Yeah. yeah, like it's okay. Uh, <laughs> we'll agree to disagree, as they say. Let's tee this up. Let's get this conversation closer to home. This has been the story of what Gary Mason and the Globe described as Danielle Smith's disastrous first week in office, which started with what Don Braid referred to as a masterful interview on Real Talk and then quickly devolved to this. So they have been the most discriminated against group that I've ever witnessed in my lifetime. That's a pretty extreme level of discrimination that we have seen. I don't take away any of the discrimination that I've seen in those other groups that you mentioned, but this has been an extraordinary time in the last uh, year in particular. And I want people to know that I find that unacceptable that we are not going to create a segregated society. Zane, uh, you are typically the one asking the questions on the strategist. Mm. Now I get to ask you uh, how the cringe factor on this one from from zero to 10, 10 being the most cringe uh, from what you've heard from a politician in the last five years. Where does this one rank? I'll give her an eight because I, I think there's some room to grow for her. And I think she'll really meet that mark in the coming days and, and weeks. Uh, and it certainly seems like she will. You know, <clears throat> before I address the specific, I think there's something that, that I'd like to introduce around what I'm seeing right now as her leadership style. And it roots back into actually what you do, Ryan, and, and what she's done for a long time. This 
leadership by talk radio personality. And I don't mean that disparagingly. Yeah, no, he but does. For years. No, he does. Yeah. <laughs> and what I am meaning to say is, Ryan, you'll never become premier. Um, and I don't mean that disparagingly. But here's, here's what I mean is that, you know, Ryan, even in your planning of the show today, you had a loose outline of what you wanted to talk to us about. But you're like, wherever this goes, it goes. Yeah. If I see a vibe check of what's working, I'll just let it go. Let these guys do their thing. If I see that it's not working, I'll intervene. I may even cut the segment short. I may move on. Right. That has been her training for years is to just throw something out there, get a vibe check of where it's at. OK, it's not working. I'm going to cut it short. This is what we're going to see. What that clip was and then the subsequent apology, I sense we're going to see a lot of that because it's that same training to say, OK, let me just throw this out there. Let me put the lightning rod out there, see where the calls and texts are coming in. Oh, nothing. OK, let's move on. Yes, yeah, I didn't mean it. Or I'm just going to move on to the next six minute segment to the next six minute segment. And this is the style of leadership I think we should be expecting. And there's ramifications for that in terms of how the UCP process her. There's ramifications for that, how the NDP respond to that. But I think this was proof point number one of in the next seven months, probably several, several dozen of how we expect her leadership, which is, oh, you didn't like it. I'm just going to move on right past it and drive on right past. It. Now, you said her subsequent apology, Corey, it wasn't really an apology at all, was it? I mean, it was an acknowledgement that she said what she said, and then she yeah. committed to meet with some advocacy groups uh, to get a better sense, I guess, of what discrimination uh, actually looks like uh but the management of this there's there's the initial statement and then there's the damage control uh, how do you assess the, the strategy of the damage control well i mean you you have to start with the damage right and there are good things in this world like premium wood siding and decking from urban timber but then there are bad yeah, things boy. in this world like danielle smith's approach to this issue in general and one of the things you learn very quickly in government is that you need to be adjective light and superlative never, right? You've got to provide range of motion. You've got to make sure that your answers aren't packaged in such a way that they antagonize people and back you into corners. So on the first day, she made the classic mistake of making an extreme statement, like the most ever. You say that in government, you are begging somebody to prove you wrong. First time ever. Somebody is going to tell you you're wrong. Any of those things should be avoided. Uh, I have no doubt that she felt, um, you know, the, the general sentiment that uh, that these people were being discriminated against. I think we'd all have our opinions on that. I certainly don't feel it was a high degree of discrimination. But then in her cleanup, she was in, a, you know, the box the other way. Like if she all of a sudden said, no, I was wrong. The people who for the 24 hours before the apology said, yeah, finally, someone's standing up for us would feel fundamentally betrayed in a way that they wouldn't have felt if the comments were never made in the first place. So, uh, you know, ultimately, it was a very messy cleanup, if you can even call it that. But she she had nothing but bad options at that point. And, and sometimes that's what you try to do. You just try to minimize the blow to the head rather than just, you know, absolutely clean it up. And so one of the things maybe we'll get into here is, was it enough? Uh, should the opposition continue to chase her on this or do we just sort of, you know, move on to the next uh, next thing here? Well, and this, I got I had an interesting email. I don't want to I don't want to take us too off track because, Carter, I want to get to you. But I, I had an interesting email from from Megan and I and I respect her, her perspective on this. Um, but she says she writes in and she says, have I missed you, Ryan, specifically condemning 
Danielle Smith's statement about anti-vaxxers being the most discriminated against in her lifetime. And, and I guess in a way, it's a fair question from Megan, except I say I poked a lot of fun at it. We've brought a lot of guests on. Charles Adler ripped her a new one on it. We ripped her a new one on it on Seriously Whatever. But I'm like, I'm not going to like specifically sit here and outline and condemn why a preposterous, moronic, ridiculous, nailing yourself to the floor type comment is like, let her speak for herself. Like, you know, to me, it's just like it, it, it wasn't like one of these things where you have to say, well, actually, like if we look back through history, there have been groups that have been like, it's like, what? It was more like a what? So, Carter, you've been chief of staff to a premier. You're chief of staff to Premier Allison yeah. Redford. If, if you're Premier Daniel Smith's chief of staff, how do you manage this this week? <laughs> oh, probably not well. I'd probably get fired. Um, but anyways, <laughs> I, I think the... <laughs> I think that's, <laughs> that's that's a certainty. Let me just say yeah, that the the only way to manage this is to get past it. And and I think that the challenge is when you when you're immediately put into a position where you're trying to apologize for something that you actually believe, you're in real trouble. Uh, and the only way to get past it is to mm-hmm. uh, change the channel. You don't actually apologize. You change the channel. And the, what she should have done is immediately start talking about her sovereignty act or or the legislation that she's going to bring in in the first session. Um, because Zane brought this up, you know, she did this tepid apology because she actually believes this. And if she was to, if she was to apologize completely for it, she loses the people that brought her to office, what what I'm calling the 20% of Albertans. And in terms of Megan demanding that you, uh, condemn, I'm so fucking tired of everybody saying that they need to condemn. Um, you know, where's the, where's all the condemnations? Let people condemn things for themselves. Let, let Danielle Smith grab the rope and hung herself. Let, let her live there. It doesn't require anybody else to jump on it. And I think that that's a good lesson for uh, Rachel Notley. She doesn't need to, uh, to take every opportunity that Danielle Smith is sure to give her over the next seven months. Uh, stick to your messaging. Stay away from all the gaffes. Right, yeah, because let me ask the three of you this. You're, you, I mean, you guys are strategists. You guys <laughs> advise politicians on not just how to win elections, but how to govern as well in some circumstances. Uh, we're going to yeah. be talking to Rachel Notley uh, next week. Uh, she's going to be joining us. I'm looking forward to uh, reconnecting with her. Uh, if you are Rachel Notley, you, you can't, like, correct me if I'm wrong. Let me make the statement, correct me if I'm wrong. As, as a politician, as an aspiring premier, or she, she, she's a former premier, she wants to be there again. You don't want to be, like, reacting all the time, right? If you're reacting all the time it looks like you're not setting the tone it looks like you don't have the vision am i am i right or wrong well you're you, i mean you're you, right that's what happened in the ucp leadership race um danielle yeah. smith put out policies they were they were I, arguably fundamentally unsound certainly from a constitutional point of view everybody talked about them and danielle smith won as a result she absolutely controlled the agenda now of course in a leadership it's a bit different because you're you're creating the voting pool and so she managed to galvanize a bunch of people to go into this but in a in a general election the challenge is same but different it's that it's really hard for you to create a coherent story if you are just saying something different every day. We talk a lot about laddering up. So you have a critique, but that critique becomes part of a bigger critique, which becomes part of a bigger story. And the story can't be all critique, by the way, right? Like that's how you, that's how you audition for the job of opposition. To be premier, you've got to talk about the things that you want to do and can do as well. And I, I mean, I think Danielle Smith presents a unique challenge here because some of these things, like they demand condemnation. To the point of the email you got, how many emails do you think Rachel Notley got in like the five minutes after that comment happened? And so she she feels the need to do this and and her own base will rightly say this is wrong and you've got to do something about this. But 
it does take you off message. And that's going to be the unique challenge she has over the next seven months. Have you guys seen yeah. this? This is <laughs> to, something to oh, go ahead, Corey's point there, though, right? There, there is there's the day that you have to react, but the package up is what really matters. Right. Because when you understand when when you look at the longitudinal elements of this campaign, the next several months, it's about how you take what happened today, next week, next month, roll that up into a larger narrative where these individual incidents are are proof points. They're not the incident themselves. They're proof points that tell a broader story. Uh, Corey, yesterday on our on our podcast, introduced this element of could the story be about what will she apologize next? Right. Or what will she apologize for next? So what is, you know, this broader story that you're able to tell? Because the day to day you have to do, you have to show that you can knife fight. You have to show that you have rapid response. But the the real clincher here is how do you put this in a convenient, easily digestible canister so that people say, oh, yeah, she's done that a lot of times. And that is something I don't want to vote for. Or that is something I don't want to associate with uh, with this political party or I'm going to move away from. If this is already my political home. Yeah, I don't think it was like it wasn't. And I don't know that anyone's even arguing this, but it, like it wasn't a slip of the tongue. I mean, like she's no. she's she's clearly stated her intention to amend human rights legislation to include unvaccinated Albertans. Uh, Jason Markusoff has a good piece on it in, in the CBC about what other problems or reciprocal sort of issues could be created by this move. Uh, I want to refer back, though, to, to a post that she made you know, when she when she resigned from talk radio. Of course, Danielle and I, former colleagues on Chorus Radio uh, back in May of 2021. I mean, you know, she, she left radio. She said she felt like uh, she couldn't have conversations without, you know, attempts, people coming at her, people trying to get her canceled. Part of that kind of is true, actually. But but I digress. Uh, not the point. And she moved on to this this kind of blog this media entity called locals people can check it out at locals.com or danielsmith.locals.com so aaron o'toole tweets at the beginning of may of 2021 he says it was aaron o'toole former leader of the conservative says it was the end of a long hard road for millions and ve day was when the allies celebrated the end of the war in europe now, to those who fought we thank you for the freedom we enjoy today on ve day so she responds to it and says, yes, my grandfather was imprisoned in a German prisoner of war camp during that war. And as I sit here today, it's illegal for me to have my parents over for coffee or open my restaurant and a restaurant owner and pastor were jailed this afternoon. I'm quite sure this isn't what my pa fought for. And I think that that post has been flying under the radar, but that's bad. No, but Brian, we've... We, the good people of Alberta, have, have elected a lunatic uh, for this, right? Like, this is this is a real challenge for us now. We've got an anti-vaxxer uh, and, a, and a person who doesn't believe in the science of COVID, uh, who's now the premier, who's, who's described uh, dismantling AHS as one of her primary oper- uh, objectives in the next six or seven months before we even get to an election. This is a terrible time. Now, one thing I wanted to say about Notley, she can't swing at everything that Danielle Smith has done. Um, because that's what she did with with Kenny. And she put herself into the great position of being a great opposition leader. She now needs to put together a single strategy because I'll tell you something, if, if she doesn't have a message box that carries her through the election from this point forward, she will not win. Danielle Smith will be back for another four years. Uh, and she's you know bringing this lunacy uh, forward for us. And, and I don't care how many, you know, how nice your home is with the urban timber, you know, chairs or, or any of those types of things, but you're not, you're never 
uh, going to recover as a province if we have four more years of Danielle Smith. Carter, I just wanted to point out quickly, like if you go to urbantimber.ca, uh, most people will hear this on the podcast, but but it looks to me like you're checking in from some sort of a drywall warehouse or so. I don't, I don't know exactly where <laughs> no, it is you are. Is no, that I mean, a, times, times have been tough for Stephen and he'll I'm in, go into I'm in, uh, I'm in the lean-to in, uh, in Surrey. Tomorrow's election day. Um, you know, big day tomorrow, but uh, I got up to be with you today. Um, you know, my morning wood was brought to me by Urban Timbers. Can I tell you that place could really use a uh, barn wood feature wall, Stephen? And I think exactly. I know where you can get I, one. And I they, think I do need a barn. Yeah. And they can help you realize your vision. Uh, speaking of Rachel Notley, and, and, and again, this comes back to Danielle Smith. Here's one that you're going to suggest that if Danielle Smith has cast the line and, and if Notley is the prized catch swimming below the surface, this is the lure that she's going to have to swim right on by. Uh, this was just yesterday. The Premier of Alberta tweets, listen, Rachel Notley will do what she normally does, scare Albertans about everything. She says, I'll do what I promise to do. Stand up for Alberta. This includes holding Rachel to account for her coalition with Justin and Jagmeet as they get set to triple the carbon tax. And she shares this meme. What scares Rachel Notley, which is apparently... Daniel Smith giving the live long and prosper Vulcan signal, uh, Daniel Smith at a school and Daniel Smith in front of a giant pumpkin. Uh, but what scares Albertans is Rachel Notley shaking hands with Justin Trudeau posing for a photo with Jagmeet Singh. And then, of course, Jagmeet Singh and Justin Trudeau standing together. Uh, your thoughts on the meme itself and <laughs> Zane, you're laughing. So let's go to you first. Is this one? If you're Notley's well, advisor, you say do not bite. Correct. And uh, I would go to Corey's. We, we, we talked about this on our pod last night, which is why I'm laughing, because I'll let Corey kind of finish the thought here. But there's one picture on the second half of that meme that you don't see. And it's a picture of Trudeau, Notley and Singh together. So this this hilarious sort of transitive property that this alliance <laughs> of these three people that are never pictured in a room together. I find yeah. that incredibly just just humorous. I also, you know, I, and, and to be honest, on, on the show yesterday when we talked about this, uh, which which will release today, I guess, because Corey's it's already out. Lazy. I did okay. it. Oh, okay. well, there you go. I'm a um, the top part of that that meme to me. I, I interpreted it differently. It was really interesting because I, I thought this this meant that Rachel Notley scared of of me, uh, Rachel Notley scared of Danielle Smith versus what I think it's trying to accomplish, which is maybe normalizing Danielle Smith. Neither of those to me are good strategies. And the bottom of half of that mean really doesn't really make sense to most people. It's red meat for the base. I would absolutely ignore it. And it kind of maybe shows the thinness of the attack that the the UCP have, but it may also show to my earlier point of her running her entire enterprise like a talk radio show. She may just move on from this, keep cycling through until she lands on something and tells us there's a segment that's hot and then extend that uh, like a streaky shooter in basketball. So I, I suspect that this, this is a, a one and done from both sides. NDP should ignore it. UCP may, may try to necessarily try to cram this this narrative in different ways and just keep trying until it, it hits and connects. OK, I got to let the three of you go. But I want to ask you this in closing. It was pretty interesting in uh, Rick Bell with a column uh, just a short time ago. Essentially, he's your scribbler sat down with Danielle Smith uh, before she was an, <laughs> before she was he's great. Rick Bell. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Thank you very much. And, uh, you know, Rick Bell's appearance on this show is one of our most downloaded podcast people like he's it's anyway. I digress. Uh, well, we how got many a, computers. Does Rick have? How did he pull that off? <laughs> 
So, Corey, uh, Corey, you know, have you heard, Corey? Okay, I'm not going to do my lecture. So, yeah, that's, that's pretty good. Cool. I like it. So, Danielle Smith essentially tells Rick Bell, she she lays out her strategy, you know, whether it is the legitimate strategy or not. If I'm a, uh, a UCP minister or a UCP MLA in the battleground of Calgary right now, I'm kind of wondering if my leader's actually watching my back. She says, listen, uh, there's 41 rural seats. We've got 39 of them. She says, basically, we're going to lose Edmonton. Uh, we got to keep the rural ridings. And if we win like five or six in Calgary, we form government. Uh, okay, Corey? Yeah, I mean, that's great, except everybody in the UCP Calgary caucus is looking around saying, oh, shit. I mean, I guess we know <laughs> yeah. who's on the sacrificing yeah. block here. I mean, I had my eyes on that heritage cut hardwood floor and that urban timber. I won't be able to afford this if Danielle Smith maintains her leadership. Exactly. And so it's going to have some of those conspiratorial <laughs> Zane, sorry. Uh, it's going to have like that conspiratorial effect where people in Calgary caucus are going to start talking to each other and saying, are we okay with this? Or, is this cool? Like, and, and I think ultimately it's hard to see the method in that particular madness, which is kind of a theme, I think, in general. And, you know, I got to say, like, she keeps winning. And so I try to have some humility about this. And I have almost like pundit yips about this because I keep saying this is bad. But on the other hand, maybe is it good? And it's because it does seem to keep working for her. And I just, I don't know. Can this work forever? I have doubts. Carter? Yeah, I mean, how many? Oh, Zane, go uh, ahead. I mean, go ahead. Go ahead, yeah, Zane. Zane. Yeah, you jumped Zane, in. Zane go ahead, buddy. Yeah. Go ahead. I would just say, like, how many people in that caucus are going to look at the, each other and be like, it's going down and I'm yelling urban timber. And <laughs> it's going to be quite a few of them. Um, and <laughs> you're all kind to get one. I think you guys honestly have you guys have I'm gonna I'm gonna call them to extend the contract like today. I'm like this is the best this is the best value advertising you're gonna get in Canada. Here's the issue. Danielle Smith, we've talked this is the through line of this conversation, is her using her her inside voice outside, right? Is she she's trying to become a pundit while being premier. That's the issue here, right? So Corey's yeah. addressed very nicely what the caucus ramifications are. But there's a reason that, that you know, when you're a premier, you're not talking about your open source pathway in full raw honesty uh, in terms of how you win the next election, like a pundit would, uh, like a dispassionate pundit would, being like, well, it's very clear. It's clear. Right? And I maybe you appreciate that if you're Danielle Smith or those around her being like, yeah, that's the truth. But there's a reason that she's premier and, and, and that she's no longer a pundit. And I think... Back to my original point, I don't know if she knows that. And that is kind of like how she's running this enterprise thus far. And here's another point to, to, to drive that home. I can't believe I'm doing this. Last word to you, Carter. I'll make it quick for you, Ryan. I mean, this, this is, uh, I, I believe in honesty with the media. I've been always someone who, who, who talks to the media and, and says what's on my mind. Uh, but I get fired every time I do that. So I think that this is... <laughs> you still get paid, but you get fired. Yeah, this, yeah, is, oh, this is... God. I think this is the, uh, the, 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 the challenge that Danielle Smith is going to find is that maybe if she's this honest all the time, uh, she's going to get herself fired too. Uh as always, I appreciate you taking the hard questions hard, like the Barnwood at Urban yeah. Timber. Uh, I encourage every single one of you that doesn't already support these three on Patreon to do so. I encourage you to subscribe to their podcast, to rate it, to review it, to tell your friends about it, and to listen to it every single week. You can learn more about what Zane, Corey, and Stephen do at the Strategists. .ca. Despite how we may treat one another, guys, I got a world of respect for you, and I look forward to the next time our paths cross in person. Likewise, Thanks, brother. All right, that's uh, Zane, Corey, and Stephen uh, collectively. 
the strategist. It's going down <laughs> at Urban Timber. All right. I think that's funny because he didn't even know, but we, we sing that often here. We do sing that We'd often. We sing it often here. So. We do, yeah. Uh, we're going to get to Trash Talk in just a quick second. Before we do, I want to let you know that if, if your family right now is looking to upgrade your ride, and that could be an SUV because you've got a bun in the oven, or maybe it's a pickup because you're going to be doing some home renovations or some heavy hauling through this winter, or maybe you're downsizing because the price of gas is out of control and you're looking for something that's four cylinders, not eight, or, or maybe even electric, may we recommend our friends at Sherwood and St. Albert Dodge. They're new and used uh, inventory. You can browse it online, of course. Uh, their website's very easy to use. You can chat directly with a member of their sales team online or go visit them in person at their beautiful dealerships. Of course, they're very proud of their customer relationships through their service and parts department as well. I have personal experience. It's why we're proud to partner with Sherwood and St. Albert Dodge. Our friends at Eden Landscaping want to remind you that you may not be thinking about landscaping once the snow falls, but in the spring, that same boring front yard, well, nothing's changing. So it'd be great to get shovels in the ground as soon as it thaws, right? That means you got to contact them now. They're going to pull your real property report. They're going to start getting the permits they need. They'll put in that order for the construction materials that are going to bring your outdoor space to life. They're a custom landscape builder, more than 20 years of on-the-ground experience earning the return business and the referrals from clients across the Metro Edmonton region. You can get in touch with Mike today. Oh, and by the way, if you're looking for work, they're always hiring. You can put in your inquiry today at landscapeedmonton.ca. We gave a shout out earlier this week to Blake. Blake is the general manager at Westworld Computers, and he's a real talker, too. He was listening to the show uh, where just moments before we went live, I dropped a microphone on the screen of my MacBook Pro and smashed it. John, it was catastrophic damage. And Blake heard me talking about it. He reached out and he said, Jespo, we can get you in right away. He said the turnaround time on the repair is going to be 72 hours. We can get you a loaner in the meantime. I'm like, what? Talk about customer service. That's what you get at Westworld that you don't get with anybody else. They're your Apple experts. And if you're looking to upgrade your phone, you know who you are. You got that cracked, shattered screen. Your friends make fun of you every time you check your texts. The iPhone 14 Pro is pro beyond. And it's now available at Westworld Computers. This weekend's a perfect time to get the family together and go check out the fall blizzard lineup at the Dairy Queens of Northwest Edmonton and Sherwood Park. If you ask me, the star of the show is the pumpkin pie blizzard. It's only available for a short period of time, but that cinnamon roll centers blizzard too. Well worth your investigation, my friends. Now, whether it's just a blizzard run or maybe you're looking for the full meal deal, check out their signature stack burger combos as well. That's the Dairy Queens in Palisades, Nemeo, Newcastle, Westmount, and in Sherwood Park at Baseline Road. It's the Lieber and Cardinal families that own those locations, and we're really proud to partner with them here on Real Talk. Every Friday, uh, we get into our email inbox. These are real messages that are sent to talk at Ryan Jesperson. Dot com by real talkers that have something to say and they want it to come through this microphone. It's presented every week by our good friends at Local Environmental Services. It's a tradition we call Trash Talk! All right, this one from Donna who says, Jespo, I love your show. Great interviews, great dialogue, but one comment about your new digs. Beautiful studio, but uh, where's the art? Where's the art? The bricks behind you are boring. That's from Donna. Well, Donna, I'll tell you what. 
as I look at these bricks and I run my hand across them, I think of the centuries of history from the bricklayers that came before us, placing the bricks, laying the mortar, telling the stories of time immemorial. All right, inside joke for the Canadian politic enthusiast. But why don't I move on? This one from Keith, a rural restaurant discrimination edition. He says, this week I've seen four Southern Alberta restaurants owned and operated by small business people and good chefs close. Many of them have been open for decades. They ask for very little, just loans, extensions, maybe, I don't know, the ability to recover from shutdowns. Restaurant people adjust to variables. Keith says we're damn good at it. We look forward to seeing the cost-benefit analysis and adjusting. Having customers in fear versus temporary close makes sense, but but we got to be there to work and recover, right? Our new leader, our new premier says that anti-vaxxers have been the most discriminated against, the most impacted, and, and oh, how we should all hang our heads in shame for those that made a choice to not get the jab. He says, those that protested up and down the highway outside my restaurant as my wife, myself, and my child ran a pickup-only counter in a 120-seat restaurant, that or being completely closed... Keith says, now, per your interview with Danielle Smith, I won't use F, B, or C, but I will say that a sand enema lubed with ivermectin may be the cure to the moronic statements made by Smith. Premier will be reserved that title for the 2023 party leader with the most seats. Yours truly, Keith, just a cook. Thanks, Keith. How about this one from Triple A Lady? That's Anne in Ardrossan, Alberta. She says, Jespo, the new studio looks amazing, and I'm delighted that you clearly love it. She says, I'm not on Twitter. I'm not on TikTok. She says, I only really communicate online with your show, but I need to let off a lot of steam, and I trust you with getting out my thoughts. I am both delighted and disgusted with our new premier. I'm delighted she's listened to the radical few and formed her ideas around their ideas. I'm delighted that she won her position with 53% of members. Wasn't it 51% that Jason Kenney determined wasn't enough to continue? I'm delighted that she has the knack of sound bites so well understood and uses them. Perhaps they can be used to others' advantage as well. I'm delighted that her followers will show their true stripes in our next election in May. But I'm disgusted that she's trying to take out the middle-of-the-road alternative available to Albertans. I'm disgusted that the good work that's been done to protect us will be undone because she's going to put people in place who wish to tear down the fabric of our province. I'm disgusted that she will couch all of her promises and laws as a reason to promote Alberta when really it's a desire to withdraw from the collective good of Canada. I'm disgusted that she'll turn family members against family members. I'm disgusted that she pretends to have the power to make the changes she proposes. So in a way, I'm delighted because the true colors of Premier Smith and her party are now showing. And I do believe there are enough really intelligent people in this province to vote her and her party out of office. So let's leave the radical fringe out there squeaking and squawking their way into oblivion and let Premier Smith be their leader not mine. That from Triple A Lady, thanks to Anne in Ardrossan. And this one from Jillian, who's going to wrap up our week with a bow and send us into the weekend. She says, Jespo, listening to your show with uh, Sarah Elder Chaminara. She was on yesterday, the founder of Madam Premier. Says politics are too polarizing. She's selling her political feminist fashion brand. Jillian says, I, I feel it's noble that Sarah wants to see more women elected, but, but, but I don't agree. Uh-uh. She says, sorry to swear, but like, fuck that. 
I don't want more women in politics, says Jillian. I want more feminists in politics. I have no interest in putting energy into helping right-wing white women into positions of power only for them to use those platforms to help misogynists take away women's rights like Amy Coney Barrett has in the States or, or maybe to claim that women don't want or need affordable childcare like several provincial and federal conservatives have done in Canada. If the white dude who went to private school in Quebec and grew up with a whole bunch of privilege sees the need to properly fund schools, provide affordable health care, and send me extra childcare payments during a pandemic, he is the type of sister that I need. The female voice in politics that simply echoes misogynistic platforms causes more damage to women's rights and opportunities than the misogynists could ever achieve on their own. More people of color in politics is nearly always beneficial to racialized communities. More LGBTQ2S plus people in politics nearly always serves as a great voice for those marginalized groups. But more women in politics does not automatically bring benefits to women as a whole. The patriarchy greatly rewards women who work against feminism and for some women the rewards are too great to pass up so they'll vote against equal pay for women they'll blame rape victims for their assault they'll chirp we don't need feminism you won't find many prominent people of color or members of the lgbtq2s plus community fighting against their own patriarchy divides women into good girls who toe the line and bad girls who moan about equality and then criticizes all of us for not getting along. It's very frustrating that some women choose to be a part of the game and haven't yet realized that very few women ever win at it. So, I disagree with Sarah on that point, but I sure wouldn't cancel her. I mean, some of the stories she shared of angry folks contacting her were just nuts. Like, wow, some folks really need to do some reflecting. I can disagree with Ms. Elder Chaminara and still totally love her products and totally love her website. Jillian says, to all of you real talkers, have a lovely weekend. Now, typically I would throw the email, but I'm going to hang on to this one because I think it's got a pretty good chance of being our real talk email of the month for the month of October, Jillian. But October's not over yet. You can send us your trash talk to talk at ryanjesperson.com. Coming up on the show next week, Former Premier, leader of the official opposition, Rachel Notley, is going to join us. Psychologist and author, Dr. Jody Carrington, is going to join us. Plus, another great lineup. If you want even further insights, go to our website, ryanjesperson.com, and scroll to the bottom of the page and sign up for our Real Talk Sunday message. It's a free weekly email that lets you know everything that's coming up. John, big shout out to you this week. Our first week in the new studio. You are making this thing tick, baby. And Real Talkers, to you for liking, subscribing, rating, reviewing, and sharing our content. Thank you from the bottom of our hearts. We're going to keep going pedal to the metal Monday morning. Have a great weekend. Real Talk is hosted by Ryan Jesperson. Executive Producer, Josh Dunford. Technical Producer, John Hicks. General Manager, Katie Cook-Chivers. Account Coordinator, Lawrence Durlego. Human Resources, Lena Shepherd. Website Design, Mike Johnston. VoiceOver by me, Carrie Skelton. Real Talk's Editorial Board is Supriya Duvetti, Ahmed Ali, Brandi Morin, Anne Castleman, Corey Hogan, Harmon Candola, Catherine O'Neill, and Chris Henderson. Member Emerita, Julie Rohr. Real Talk is recorded in Edmonton, Alberta on Treaty 6 territory, the traditional and ancestral territory of the Cree, Dene, Blackfoot, 
Soto, and Nakota Sioux, home to the Métis Settlements and the Métis Nation of Alberta. Real Talk is a Relay Project. For more, check out ryanjasperson.com.